Welcome to the Arthroscopy Association's Arthroscopy Journal podcast. The views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily represent the views of the Arthroscopy Association or the Arthroscopy Journal. Welcome, everybody. I'm Dr. Andrew Sheehan from the San Antonio Military Medical Center. And today I'm excited to be talking to Dr. Adam Yankee from the Department of Orthopedic Surgery at Rush University. Dr. Yankee was the senior author on a paper recently published in Arthroscopy Journal entitled In Vitro Analysis of Micronized Cartilage Stability in the Knee, Effective Fibrin Level, Defect Size, and Defect Location. This paper was published in the April 2019 edition of the Arthroscopy Journal. Adam, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk, and thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. It's really an honor to be here, and I'm happy to represent my co-authors. Yep, and I'd, and I'd like to congratulate you on, on completing the study. Um, in general, I really enjoy papers like this that use sound scientific methods uh, to help us better understand how uh, and how not to do these procedures. Um, you know, in our line of work, indica indications play a really big role as far as what we do, um, but you still have to know the nuts and the bolts of how to do the procedure. And I think this paper really helps us uh, and our readers wrap our minds around uh, some of the more salient technical points of, of using this technique. So let's get started. Sounds great. So I'm not going to expect you to give us your cartilage restoration algorithm here in a 10-minute in a podcast, but can you uh, flesh out uh, your indications for us as far as when you're using uh, this particular micronized cartilage restoration technique? It's a really great question. I'll start a little bit vague and try to narrow down, but um, as you mentioned, it's very nuanced and it can be based on many non-modifiable patient factors that can be defect-specific or patient-specific. Uh, also, in interest of full disclosure, all of these thoughts are really based on uh, opinion and, and we don't have evidence to guide us for these indications yet as we're learning uh, what does and what does not work. Uh, but we can kind of assume that historical factors that have shown to play a role in other technologies would likely apply here. And those include patient factors such as age, BMI, activity level, and also defect parameters such as prior surgery in that defect, defect size and depth, bone involvement, as well as the location of that defect. That being said, Bringing that down to microfracture augmentation, or specifically the micronized cartilage treatment used in this paper, I do believe that it's the same indications as standard mare stimulation uh, application still applies. And so I keep a very conservative indication where I treat primarily femoral lesions that are less than two centimeters squared, have no prior treatment or bony involvement. Uh, they are not revisions, they are not OCD lesions. Um, so I I uh, would say that I don't expand my existing marrow stimulation indications. I try to keep those same indications. Hopefully, adding this type of technology will improve the outcomes that we've seen that can peter out two to five years after microfracture and not succumb to that same fate. I see. Well, that makes sense, and, and I appreciate um, the way that you prefaced your comments about um, how much we do or do not know uh, about these different pathways, but I can tell you when the when the cartilage guys at Rush talk, we listen. So we're uh, <laughs> we're excited to find a little bit more about how to better treat this tough problem. You know, I've heard uh, thought leaders in the field differentiate between the presence of edema 
uh, and subchondral sclerosis and or cyst in terms of what should push us in one direction or another when we're approaching these lesions. How does the presence of subchondral edema affect your decision to proceed uh, with this particular technique? Yeah, it's another uh, great question that also has some conflicting data behind it, and it depends uh, what data you look at. I think that most of us agree that bone marrow lesions uh, can be a source of pain and that the bone is a very sensitive area. Uh, what I always try to figure out is that the smoke or the fire, you know, you want to try to get to the fire and put that out, and all the secondary issues will calm down if you're able to accomplish that. Uh, there was a nice study done looking at the uh, presence of bone marrow lesions in patients that have no symptoms that were middle-aged, and it was about 15% of patients would have these on MRI with normal-appearing x-rays. Uh, similarly, they looked at patients that had early cartilage defects and saw that the odds ratio increased to about 1.8% uh, to have a bone marrow lesion associated with that. So we know that they can be present, and it may be more likely that they're secondary to an overlying problem with the cartilage where the bone deep to that has these subchondral insufficiency fractures that um, can't be stopped until you restore that surface. Uh, however, you don't want to change your algorithm completely just because they're present, so you don't want to be swayed too much there. Um, there's a funny uh, acronym called VOMIT, which is a victim of modern imaging technology, and I think that we just need to make sure that we don't get too wrapped up on what we see on the MRIs. Now, the reality is uh, the evidence that exists for other technologies, such as ACI, there's two papers, one by Ebert, one by Nehemiah. Uh, one shows that there is worse outcomes with increasing bone marrow lesion. The other one showed that when they controlled for other factors, uh, this difference did not uh, was not maintained. And so these results are conflicting. And, and also, we don't have these results for osteochondral allografts, microfracture, or microfracture augmentation. Uh, we did publish a study looking at these for patients with meniscus transplant that was done in isolation. We did see an increased correlation of uh, pain and dysfunction in the setting of larger lesions. Not to go on too much, but also uh, in reality, most bone marrow lesions have a depth that's much greater than the implant that we're using. So even if you're using that to sway for an osteochondral allograft, the depth of your plug is usually less than the depth of the bone marrow lesion. So it's not like we're going to eliminate that whole thing. Finally, getting to the answer to your specific question, um, for me, as long as the surface congruity of the subchondral bone is relatively intact and doesn't have a prior treatment, such as a prior microfracture or a significant chondral ablation, and we think that putting a new cartilage surface that will grow and take the weight off of the bone deep to it uh, is sufficient, then I will still do a surface-based technology, whether that's marrow stimulation or whether that's um, Macy or other technologies uh, such as that or cell-based technologies. And so for me, I take it into consideration, but the cortical irregularity is probably a more significant factor for me than the presence of it alone. Got it. And and just one more time, can you repeat the, the VOMIT acronym? That's fascinating. <laughs> it's a victim of modern imaging technology. I love and it. The, uh, if you want one more, there's also BARF, not to get too, you know, keeping the same vein here, but BARF is the brainless application of radiologic findings. So there it is. That's all we need to those. know. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, all right, so let's get in the meat of your paper. So what are the 
two or three major take-home points that you want people walking away with? Yeah, so I, I think that we can glean probably three main things from this paper, and it kind of even is in the title there. So the we really look at what is the effect of the size of defect with delamination here, what's the effect of the location, and what's the effect of the technique of fibrin application with regards to whether it's proud or recessed. Um, as you know, just to mention in brief, the, the methods of this paper is a cadaveric model where we made circular defects in normal knees in the trochlea of size 20, 25, or 30 millimeters and an ephemeral condyle at 15, 20, and 25 millimeters. We, t we had barium in the, in the micronized cartilage as well as PRP, and, and we tested for delamination, both looking at it under radio radiographic evaluation as well as gross inspection. And we tested through a range of motion that was variable depending on the location. So ephemeral condyle was 0 to 120 degrees, and trochlea was 0 to 40 degrees. Some of the main findings we had were that proud application of the fibrin clearly led to increased delamination, essentially in all groups and all defect locations and sizes. We did see a larger amount of surface delamination in the trochlea, and the effect was the largest in both the trochlea and in the femur in the largest size defects, which I think makes a lot of sense. So based on this part specifically, I'd say that we need to be extremely careful about having any fibrin that's proud and that can catch even on the edge of a defect um, that could delaminate the graft and this should really be avoided. Uh, similarly, when you have an increased size defect, we found that size did increase with delamination regardless of location as well as fibrin application. So this was also an independent factor for delamination. The increased defect size had more delamination but not always more bone exposure so it was more surface delamination. Getting down to having enough grafts that you're re-exposing bone was actually more common in the uh, condyle defects. I think that we can get into this more, but uh, there's a few reasons why this, this may be the case, and I think it has to do with the surface topography. Basically, for this, for clinical applications, I think when you're treating defects that are larger than 20 millimeters on either the femur or on the uh, femoral condyle in the trochlea, we should be careful about these techniques because that really increased the risk of delamination. Uh, finally, most grafts did delaminate within the first 15 minutes of CPM usage, and so that's how we applied the range of motion here. And under fluoroscopy, over 80% of them delaminated in the first 15 minutes that did have delamination. And so in the immediate perioperative period, while this study obviously is time zero and cannot account for whatever immediate clot and healing process happens, we should probably be careful with regards to range of motion and limit this uh, for potentially a few days before starting it. So and I think you guys hinted this, but what exactly is your postoperative um, activity regimen or set of restrictions? Yeah, so the, um, for this technology specifically, uh, which would also apply to uh, most other technologies because we have a fairly similar recovery uh, process, we do keep them immobilized for 48 hours. And then after this is completed, we start with an increased range of motion protocol. Uh, while I do believe you can allow for full range of motion after that time because patients will self-limit in a way that's probably not detrimental, now we try to start with 15 degrees per week to get them to 90 degrees by the time 
uh, they're coming in for their six-week visit at a minimum. And we allow weight bearing as tolerated in a brace locked out and extension when there are patellofemoral defects. And when there are tibial femoral defects, it's a toe touch weight bearing for six weeks. Got it. Well, uh, I want to congratulate you guys again on, on putting together a really nice study that um, I think nicely uh, tests a hypothesis and gives us, again, some uh, really practical information that we can use in order to be better surgeons, kind of as I mentioned at the outset. Well, I appreciate um, you having me on and, and, again, being able to represent uh, my co-authors. And uh, like you said, this is a very simple study that hopefully does have practical application and um, hopefully people find it useful. Fantastic. Well, thanks again for your time. Uh, Dr. Yankee's paper entitled In Vitro Analysis of Micronized Cartilage Stability in the Knee, Effective Fibrin Level, Defect Size, and Defect Location was published in the April 2019 issue of the Arthroscopy Journal. It can also be found online at www.arthroscopyjournal.org. Thanks for joining us.